Hi guys, welcome to Cool Music History Time with DJ Dylan. We will talk with my good friend, Columbia College Chicago student Jack Mahanas, and learn about his favorite rock band of all time, along with one of the best songs by them. Please subscribe to my podcast on redcircle.com or wherever you find podcasts. And if you have a favorite band that you'd like to know the history of, drop me an email at dylan.miller at loop.colum.edu. Again, it's dylan.miller at loop.colum.edu. Let's go talk with Jack now. Hey guys, welcome to Cool Music History Time with DJ Dylan. I'm here with my good friend Jack. Hey, Dylan's podcast listeners. So, anywho, Jack, tell us a little bit about yourself. So, I am a senior at Columbia College Chicago. I major in CUP, which stands for Contemporary Urban Performance, which is music performance. And I'm primarily a singer. That's what my focus has been since I've been at Columbia. And I'm a minor in radio. And I'm about to graduate next month. And I've been a music fan all my life. I've been raised on rock music, particularly music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And since I've come to Columbia, my taste has definitely become more diverse, but I'm still a rocker at heart. Always have been, always will be. So yeah, that's that's a uh, basic one-on-one about myself. <laughs> oh, okay, Jack. So here's a question. I see that you're originally from New York, right? That is correct. I was born on the Upper Side of Manhattan on September 3rd, 1997, and I moved to Nashville when I was almost five. So I moved two months before I turned five, so that was in July of 2002. Oh, all right. Did you miss New York? Um, in some ways I do, but I really love Nashville. I mean, I definitely missed it a lot more when I was younger than than I do now, because now Nashville has just gotten so much more interesting given all of the stuff that's come to Nashville, also all the businesses that have come to Nashville, and the fact that Nashville has more venues now, and it is the place of music in general, not just country music, but it's the home city of music. It's Music City. And as an aspiring musician, it's one of the main reasons I love it here. So I really do love Nashville, but you know, I, I, I'll also have a soft spot for New York. Oh, okay, Jack. What drew you to be a student at Columbia College Chicago? That's a really great question. So I applied to seven to eight colleges, and I got into seven out of eight of them. Now, the only one I missed that I did not get accepted into was Berklee College of Music in Boston. But that's a very, very hard school to get into. But we just thought we would go for it. And the thing, the feedback I got, the reason why they didn't accept me is because my music reading skills were not that great back then, which they were right. But my parents originally were hoping I would go to Belmont. And I made it into the school, so that was always on the table. But I did not make it into the music program, which was disappointing, but I understood because they were like, it was like very, very, very selective. However, one of the things I, it was, at the same time, it was a blessing because I really wanted to go to a school outside the state of Tennessee. I, I wanted to go, you know, out of the state, get to know a new city. And so... Columbia was the first college I got accepted into of the seven colleges that accepted me. However, I think we put off visiting that one for a while. I don't know why we did, but just it just worked out that way. So, no, 
it was because, you know, the date that they were doing student orientation was the only time we could do it. So that's why we, we visited Columbia later. But I went to, my mom and I went on three school leave trips. So the first one was to McNally Smith College of Music in St. Paul, Minnesota. Now, my mom and I agreed. The school looked amazing. It looked like a lot of fun. It looked like a great place. However, the living situations were awful. Like the one apartment dormitory that they had for us was really, really, it did not look nice at all. It was, I think there was only one TV in the entire apartment and it was in the entire apartment building and it was in the middle of the floor and there's like this big lounge area. And then we went to like a sample bedroom. It's, it's a two, it's usually a two person room. So, and one bed's in the living room and the other bed is in the next room and in the next room is the only bathroom so whoever was living in the living room would have had to go into the other person's bedroom just to use the bathroom so my mom and i looked at each other and we were like this is not the right place and the other knock against it and again i thought st paul and minneapolis were amazing places so i'm not discrediting those places the cities however there was also not a nearby grocery store and my mom's like you're not like going out to eat like at you know these local restaurants nearby every night you just that's just unrealistic there's no way so this this place is not for you and i i agree with her so the second place we visited a couple months later we went to another school i got accepted into jacksonville university oh by the way, going back really quickly with McNally Smith, the visit was also the audition, and I did I did pass the audition. So McDonald Smith was always on the table. Now Jacksonville University was the next one we visited because I got accepted into it in the fall of 2015. So in April 2016, we visited Jacksonville, and the campus was great. The food at the cafeteria was very nice. The dormitories looked nice. However, we just something just didn't feel right, like a gut reaction. Not that the place was bad. The place, as I said, was very nice. But I just didn't feel like I fit in. Like is this it didn't feel like the right fit for me, personally. So we we didn't rule it out, but we just said, let's see what else there is. Finally, about a week later, my class and I senior my senior class and the grade below me we all went on a school trip to Washington, D.C. for the week, from Monday to Thursday. And But then the next morning, the night we got back, the next morning, my mom and I, we were on a flight to Chicago. And we visited Columbia, and everything just felt right. Just the environment, everyone looked so friendly. It just felt like the right place. It was just, it was really, really cool. And the music department looked amazing. It just, everything just felt right. And so my mom, I said to my mom towards the end of the day, it's like, let's get back to the hotel immediately so we can submit the deposit because this is where I want to go. And my mom was like, you know what? I agree. And so we did. And then that's how I ended up at Columbia. And nothing has happened between the day I submitted my deposit and today where I didn't feel like I made the right choice. Columbia was absolutely the best school I could have chosen, and I'm really, really happy I spent the last four years of my life there. Oh, okay, Jack. So, Jack, I have you in two of my classes, podcast series production with Mr. Matt Cunningham and radio workshop with Miss Donna Mullen. What other classes are you taking this semester? 
classes am I taking this semester? I'm taking the WCRX practicum class, given that I'm a radio minor, so that means I get my my once a week radio shift at the school radio station. It used to be four hours live on the air. Now it's one hour pre-recorded, given what's going on with the pandemic. And I'm also taking culture, race, and media, because that's to, I think it's to fill out a humanity, it's either a humanities or another ALS credit. I forget which at the moment. And then I'm also taking science of mu- science and musical instruments, which is to fill a science credit. Oh, okay, Jack. Hey, you know about WCRX practicum? I'm taking that class in the fall of 2020. Well, that's wonderful. I think you're going to really enjoy it. Like, it's a lot of fun. And I will give you this heads up. Get to play, like, exactly what you want on the air. Like, if you want to play something that's, like, not in the system, you have to run it by Matt. And it has to have a purpose behind it. But you also get to include, like, your weekly feature. Like something about your show that differentiate yourself from all of your fellow classmates' shows. So I do one where I promote, like, I review a movie or a TV show. And especially now, like, doing, like, a what to watch while quarantine recommendation segment. But you're going to really love it. Oh, all right, Jack. Thanks for giving me that good advice. Now, Jack, what do you want to do after you graduate from Columbia College Chicago? That's really a good question. I want, my dream job would be to sing, be a lead singer for a rock band and tour the country. But I don't, that's very, very hard these days, just because the music industry is, like, so, so selective in who they pick. I'm going to do my best to get, you know, to achieve that goal. But I just hope to do something music-related after I graduate from college. I mean, you know, I mean, unfortunately, these are not good times for our economy. And so it might be really hard to get a job like that, especially now. But that's what I I want to do, something music-related after I graduate from college. Oh, all right, Jack. Now, Jack, since you are a radio major, what is your favorite radio station? My favorite radio station is this station called Trunk Nation, which is on Sirius XM. It's this radio host named Eddie Trunk, who is a hard rock and heavy metal radio host. And I've called, I used to call in all the time back in 2015 and 2016 when he was doing his Monday show, which was more in like, you know, from like 3 p.m. to I think 8 p.m. Central Time. And that, but when he moved to like five days a week during the afternoon, I haven't been able to call in since, but you know, now I'm, now I might be able to now that I'm home. Now I think about it since I'm home now and you know, my classes are, I don't have classes around the time he's on, but that's usually my favorite radio station to listen to because I get to hear like all these great hard rock and metal bands from like seventies and eighties and the nineties as well. Yeah. Okay, Jack. Yeah. So Jack, I've got another question for you. What drew you to love rock music and want to know the history? histories of rock bands. I'm really glad you asked that. So my segue into the rock world, I mean, of course, when I was like very little, you know, I loved the Beatles, but that's just because almost everyone loves the Beatles. Um, and, um, but what really like got me like, you know, wine come musician and like maybe like a big like rock and music fan in general was in September of 2006, a few weeks after I had turned nine years old. My parents took me and my little brother to see the Rolling Stones in Louisville, Kentucky at the Churchill Mountains Racetrack on the Bigger Bank Tour. And that was a life-changing experience for me. And from that point forward, that's when I was like, I want to, you know, become a musician and I want to, you know, 
everything about the Rolling Stones. I want to know all the lyrics or songs. I want to know who was in the band, who played on what song, how the band formed, some very important stories in their history. And then around like 2008, 2009, I was really into Duran Duran. Still am, but you know, maybe not as much as back then, but I still love them. Uh, and then around 2011, 2012 is when I really, really started to like study rock history with like the, the bands that I really loved, which were Aerosmith, Kiss, The Who, and you know, Queen was more, you know, last few years, even though I've always loved them, but what are bands? Like Def Leppard, Guns N' Roses, Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, Metallica, Megadeth, those bands. So, yeah, like, like the beginning of last decade was when I really started to like study like rock history. Oh, okay. That's uh, awesome to hear, Jack. So, Jack, I've got another question for you. Since I've loved watching rock and roll documentaries of how rock bands are made, what is your favorite movie or documentary about rock bands and why? Oh, wow. That's actually really a question. I have to really think about that one. There was just one documentary on KISS back in 1992, and this was when they were not wearing their makeup called KISS Extreme Close-Up. And it was Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons talking about their history all the way up to 1992. And it sort of gives you a good sense of what KISS was all about. There was this other one called Days of Our Lives by Queen. And that's like, it's a two-parter. It's like their history from the 70s, and, there, and then part two is their history from the 80s and 90s. And it's really, really fascinating. And there was this other great one by Rush called Beyond the Light of Stage. And I think that's like everything you want to know about Rush is in that documentary. And then, of course, there are a whole lot of behind the music specials that are amazing to watch. Like, Megadeth, I love Megadeth's behind the music. I thought Def Leppard's behind the music was great. Jews Priest's behind the music was great. All those behind the music, any behind the music special is always very fascinating. But aside from them, you know, the Kiss one from 1992, the Queen one, and the Rush one, I think are the top three great documentaries. Oh, all right. That's awesome to hear, Jack. Now, Jack, here's the most greatest question that I like asking my interviewees. What is your favorite rock band of all time and why? My favorite rock band of all time is also my favorite artist of all time. That would be Aerosmith. And the reason why I really love Aerosmith is because they took the inspirations of great bands from the 60s, like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, and Led Zeppelin was starting to really make it was starting to like really really become big by the time Aerosmith formed and so they took like inspiration from those bands as well as you know other bands like from that era like Cream and Hendrix and they just they they took the the inspiration of those bands and just gave it a little more like of a rock hard rock edge and Steven Tyler I think you know really like really stepped it up when it came to like all the frontman stuff and he's an amazing lyricist and he has he has a voice that is has not lost anything in the past 50 years like he is just he is still doing so amazing today and joe perry is just like the coolest lead guitar player ever like he like yes i mean he's he has like you know he can like play fast but he just his best guitar solos are just the ones with just so much feel to them. And I just feel like the riffs he's written over the years have stood the test of time. And I think Tom Hamilton is an amazing bass player 
and Brad Whitford's a great guitar player, and Joey Kramer's an amazing drummer. And I just think one of the other things I love about Aerosmith is that they've been constantly able to adapt to whatever the musical climate is at the time, while still, you know, for the most part, keeping their rock and roll, their badass rock and roll sound. Like, I mean, my favorite Aerosmith is the first five albums, which is the self-titled debut album, Get Your Wings, Toys in the Attic, Rocks, and Draw the Line. Those are, like, because they're, they're, like, pure hard rock albums. They're not overly produced. They're just this raw, raunchy rock and roll sound, and that's what I love so much about them. And then they have some, like, I, that's not to say anything about the records that came out in the 80s and 90s. I mean, uh, from the 80s, I thought Permanent Vacation's a great record. I think Pump's a great record. The 90s, they have, the records are good, but they're just not as much. I don't love them as much. There's some great stuff on Get a Grip, but then there's also some disappointing songs. Nine Lives is, has like one or two great songs, but then the rest of the album's just kind of meh, and then just push play, I think. With the exception of Jaded, the rest of the album's just way too poppy. And then music, the, their last studio album that came out in 2012, yeah, 2012, Music From Another Dimension was was great, but there's some really great songs in that album, and there's, there's a lot, also a lot of forgettable songs in that album. But but that's what I love a lot about Aerosmith, is that they're a badass rock and roll band, and they've been able to stand in the test of time. Oh, all right, Jack, that's awesome, very awesome to hear. Now, Jack, in radio workshop class, you told through the mic that Queen and Adam Lambert are touring in the United States. What is your best knowledge about them? Well, they're not doing an American tour right now because that that happened last year. They were touring. I, I've seen Queen with Adam Lambert twice. The first time was was in 2017 here in Nashville, and the second time was last August here in Nashville. But yeah, their American tour happened last year. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so, Jack, since you are a great historian about rock bands, here's another question. Would you tell us the origins history of another famous rock band you know? Okay, so Def Leppard started out in 1977. Joe Elliott, the lead singer, was working in one of those, you know, factories in Birmingham, England. So Birmingham, England's like a very industrial, very industrialized working class area of of England. And he met a guitarist named Pete Willis, who had already had his own little band together, Rick Savage and Tony Kenning. And so Joe Elliott originally was a guitar player. He was just working on guitar and then he played for the guys and he just accompanied himself with singing and they they were more impressed with his singing than his than his guitar playing, and so they asked Joe, "Will you join the band as our singer?" And he accepted. And then band didn't have a name, and Joe Elliott had a fancy that he being in a band called Def Leppard. And now he actually spelled it out as you would typically spell Def D E A F, and then Leopard L E O P A R D. But Rick Savage, the bass player of Def Leppard, ended up quickly mocking Led Zeppelin and the way Led Zeppelin completely changed how you spelled Led and Zeppelin. And they spelled Def Leppard D-E-F-L-E-P-P-A-R-D. And then they auditioned a lead guitar player named Steve Clark. And he showed up in jeans, a denim jacket, and no shirt on. And he played Freebird by Leonard Skinner 
the whole thing in its entirety. So then they ended up playing some gigs, and then Tony Kenning left the band because he wanted to be spend more time with his girlfriend. And then they hired a 15-year-old aspiring drummer named Rick Allen to join the band. And then they went on to get a record deal, and they recorded on through the night. That didn't do much business behind being a minor hit in, like... United Kingdom. Then they collaborated with ACDC producer Muttlang and they recorded the album High and Dry and one of the songs that came out of that record was Bring On The Heartbreak which became the band's first hit. But then Pete Willis, one of their guitar players, was having a real drinking issue and he just wasn't turning up to recording sessions. And finally Def Leppard said they gave him what they call the elbow which means they fired him and they replaced him with Phil Collins. Now not not Phil Collins, but for the record, local guitar player named Phil Collin, C-O-L-L-E-N. And he was like this big like technician, and Steve Clark was like this big like Jimmy Page, like sloppy guitar player kind of player. And then they went on to record the album Pyromania, which it's went on to sell 10 million copies in America. And it became it sat at number two, Billboard Top on the Billboard 200 behind Michael Jackson's Thriller for nine months. And some of the big songs that came off of Pyromania, Photograph, Rock of Ages, Foolin'. And then, you know, they were riding high. And then in 1984, drummer Rick Allen was road racing while drunk. And he crashed the car and the seatbelt took off his left arm. And he was hosp- he was hospitalized for six weeks and then he thought he was never gonna be able to play drums again. But he then eventually realized I could still play the parts to the songs I like, but just using my feet. So what he ended up doing was he ended up having a drum set set for him where you had foot bells that would make different sounds on the drum kit. And so he would play whatever his left arm would do, he would replace that with his left foot hitting a foot pedal. So it's like he would have like his right arm like playing the hi-hat, um, his right foot hitting the bass drum, and then his his right foot playing the bass drum, and then his left foot playing the snare drum or any of the toms. And so that took a while. Def Leppard was basically like on hiatus for over a year and a half because Rick Allen had to completely start from scratch. They loved him too much and they didn't want to throw him out. They really wanted to give him this shot. And and then finally, from that day forward, Rick Allen was known as the Thunder God. And then they went on to record and release the album Hysteria, which became one of the biggest selling rock albums of all time and became Def Leppard's first number one album. And then, unfortunately, Steve Clark's drinking issues caught up with him and he died of alcoholism in early 1991. And then, then they ended up recruiting Vivian Campbell from the band Dio. And that has been the lineup of the band ever since. Joe Elliott, Phil Collin, Rick Allen, Rick Savage, and Vivian Campbell. And they sit, they, they're still selling out arenas and stadiums today. And I've seen them four times in concert. And yeah, yeah so that's, ba- that's your basic history of Def Leppard. Oh, that's very interesting, Jack. And I felt sorry for the drummer losing an arm. Uh, is he doing okay while drumming? Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he is... He's definitely bounced back. And I think one of the things about Rick Allen that I've always admired about him is that he is, you know, he's an inspiration for those who are disabled that go, wow, if he can get through that, maybe I can. Like, the dude lost a limb, and he relearned. 
learned how to play the drums in a whole new way. And when he made his first appearance with Def Leppard, when Def Leppard did like their first major gig with him as the one-armed drummer, he, from that day, became known as the Thunder God. That was the nickname they gave him. Oh, okay, Jack. So, Jack, I got another question. Besides your love for rock band histories, what do you like to do in your spare time? When I do my spare time, I love movies and TV shows. Like, I've been more of a movie buff for, for these past six years because I started watching the Oscars again. Like, I used to watch it, like, casually with my family, like, back in the 2000s, but nothing, like, serious. But then I really started to, like, really get into award sh- like, movie award shows back in 2014. And so I, I like to go back and watch Oscar movies I haven't seen yet. And I love, like, predicting the Oscars. For my WCRX shift, fun fact, I actually had on a friend of mine who is the Oscar Oscarologist, which is like what, what we call Oscar predictors in, in the awards pundit world. I got to interview Tarek Khan, who is the Oscar pundit for Fox News, who's a friend of mine. Now, his politics are not in line with Fox News. Let me just let me clarify. Say, let me let me just state that for the record. He's he doesn't agree with all their politics, but he's the Oscar pundit who works for Fox News. And I got to have him have him do a call and interview for my second WCRX shift. I also have been watching a lot of TV shows the past year, especially now now that I'm quarantined. And so I love like watching like binge watching TV shows. So yeah, that's what I like to do in my spare time when I'm not doing music. Oh, all right. Are you watching Netflix like Stranger Things? I love Stranger Things. Stranger Things, I'll be honest with you that that's on my bucket list because one of my best friends from Columbia made a deal with me that if I checked out that if he checked out a show I love, which is also from Netflix, that, that I would watch Stranger Things. And that show, by the way, I'm referring to, the one that I'm trying to get him to watch is a show called Ozark with Jason Bateman and Laura Linney. Yeah, it's also on Netflix. And so that's, that's been, I think, think currently my favorite show. Uh, all right. Now, Jack, here is the one last question. How many Aerosmith shirts do you have? I, my first Aerosmith t-shirt I got in, a, um, in Atlanta eight um, years ago when I saw them on the global warming tour in Atlanta with my dad. That was the first Aerosmith shirt I got. I, the second one, my grandmother lives in Connecticut, and she, but she works like on the edge of New York State, which in a little town called Millerton. And right across the street from her is this business that sells rock t-shirts. So I, that's where I got my second Aerosmith shirt. And then my mom and I, for my birthday, I got to go to Vegas last September and see Aerosmith do one of the residency shows in Las Vegas. And at that concert is where I got my third t-shirt. Oh, all right. Very awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah, so anywho, Jack, thank you for your time. Anytime. I, I pr- I'm glad to help. Yeah, thank you very much. If you are interested in becoming a student at Columbia College Chicago, like my good friend Jack Mahana's, log on to colum.edu, again c-o-l-u-m.edu, for more information and click the apply button to get started. Now, let's go to the history of Aerosmith. Since the 1970s, people all over the world have enjoyed listening to classic rock music. 
In the US, we have American rock bands such as Kiss, Van Halen, and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Standing alongside those bands is Aerosmith. They are described as one of the greatest American rock bands of all time because they've sold over 100 albums, won countless awards including Grammy Awards and MTV Awards, and are loved by millions of people in the United States and worldwide. They have made classic songs and have become so famous that they've starred in movies and even their own video game through Guitar Hero. Here's a little beginning info of how Aerosmith came to be during the 1970s. It is said that Aerosmith were formed in the American city of Boston, Massachusetts. In 1969, the lead singer of Aerosmith, Steven Tyler, met the lead guitarist, Joe Perry, while working at an ice cream parlor in the small town of Sunapee, New Hampshire. Tyler was once a lead singer and drummer for an old 1960s New York band called Chain Reaction, and he talked with Perry about starting a band of their own. They called up and hired bass player Tom Hamilton, and then they've brought up along rhythm guitarist Ray Tabano. But unfortunately, it did not work very well with Tabano, so they voted him out and replaced him with Massachusetts guitarist Brad Whitford. Tyler then called on his friend from Yonkers, Joey Kramer, and asked him to be their drummer, and he agreed. Right after the group was formed, they called themselves Aerosmith, and relocated from New Hampshire in 1969 to Boston by the end of 1970. The newly formed Aerosmith played gigs in Boston, New York City, and other areas in the state of Massachusetts. In 1972, they signed a record deal with Columbia Records and released their debut album in the fall of 1973. Although the album did not make it in the music charts, their first song, Dream On, got to number 59. The first Aerosmith album includes other hits like Make It, Mama Kin, and a cover version of Southern Soul musician Rufus Thomas's song Walking the Dog. <coughs> album releases are, of course, followed by a tour, and Aerosmith toured the United States as the opening act for other bands' concerts, such as The Kinks, Shanana a music group featured in the movie Grease and Mott the Hoople. In 1974, Aerosmith released their second album, Get Your Own Wings. It was produced by New York record producer Jack Douglas and featured extra songs like Same Old Song and Dance, SOS Too Bad, and another cover song, jazz musician Tiny Bradshaw's song, The Train Kept a Rollin'. Unfortunately, it, too, failed to make it onto the charts. In 1975, Jack Douglas helped Aerosmith record and release their third and breakthrough album that made it to the music charts, Toys in the Attic. It became one of the top 40 albums of the summer of 1975. 
It includes the two now iconic songs, Sweet Motion and Walk This Way. You may remember that Steven Tyler and Joe Perry helped the first hip-hop act to go mainstream, run DMC with the rap remix version of the song Walk This Way in 1986. After Toys in the Attic was released, their two first albums also joined the chorus of becoming hit albums in the charts because of Aerosmith's musical performances on their third album. Then in 1976, Aerosmith and Jack Douglas made their fourth album, Rocks, which includes Back in the Saddle. An online Aerosmith biography states that their endless roadwork paid off in platinum and exploded into sold-out pandemonium culminating in massive crowds of over 80,000 at the legendary Texas Jam and to a sea of over 350,000 at the famous Seattle. Jam in 1978. Aerosmith's status as one of the most popular live acts of the decade was achieved by word of mouth alone, a fact that was hard to swallow for the radio programmers and the press who had somehow missed the boat on the Aerosmith phenomenon. In 1977, Aerosmith took a break from show business and developed some materials for their fifth album, Draw the Line. They released it in December, and it became a hit album like Toys in the Attic. Then in 1978, they starred in the movie Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, along with other bands such as the Bee Gees, Peter Frampton, and Alice Cooper, as well as famous comedians like Steve Martin and the late George Burns. They performed a cover of one of the Beatles songs, Come Together, and it became Aerosmith's best cover song ever. In 1979, Aerosmith recorded and released Night in the Ruts that included the cover version of the 1960s pop girl group, the Shangri-La song, Remember Walking in the Sand. Aerosmith is one of America's greatest rock bands of all time. In 1979, Joe Perry left the band to start his own band called the Joe Perry Project. Then Brad Whitford left the band to join along with Michigan musician Derek St. Holmes for a band project called Whitford St. Holmes. After Steven Tyler, Tom Hamilton, and Joey Kramer made their 1982 album Rock in a Hard Place with guitarists Jimmy Crespo and Rick DeFay, Perry and Whitford returned to the band in 1984 and they keep making good music today. For Aerosmith, rock on with your ongoing careers. Let's conclude with one of Aerosmith's best songs. We all have heard Aerosmith's greatest hits like Walk This Way and I Don't Want to Miss a Thing from the movie Armageddon, but the best of them all is Sweet Emotion. Sweet Emotion is described as one of Aerosmith's top 10 songs. It is part of Toys in the Attic, the best-selling breakthrough album that helped the first two albums by Aerosmith also rise to fame on the music charts. 
Joe Perry stated while making the album that when we started to make Toys in the Attic, our confidence was built up from constant touring. And Tom Hamilton stated when the album became a great hit in the 1970s that they knew that Toys in the Attic, Walk This Way, and Sweet Emotion would launch Aerosmith to fame like a missile. Also, he stated while making the song along with Walk This Way that he smoked a bowl or two and wrote the arrangements, the guitar parts. Steven took the intro, turned it around, changed key, and they used it as a tag, the resolution of the song. When Joe, Brad, Tom, and Joey heard Sweet Emotion, they thought it had the overdubs, the vocals, and Tom flipped out. He loved what they did with it. We will learn how Aerosmith made and recorded Sweet Emotion during this segment. Check it out! During the early months of 1975, Aerosmith had recorded all their songs along with Sweet Emotion at one of the record plant studios in America that opened at New York City in 1969 and shut down in 1987. Sweet Emotion was written by Steven Tyler and Tom Hamilton, and it is about Tyler's frustration with Aerosmith amidst the band's rampant drug use. The song is about doing your own thing without allowing other people to bring you down. According to songfacts.com, the track has a buried message in the song. However, the message being revealed depends on who you ask. The band did some clapping and chanting that was played backward. What they chanted had to do with their manager, Frank Connolly, who had been diagnosed with cancer and sold rights to manage the band to the team of Steve Leber and David Krebs. According to Steven Tyler, they were chanting, Fuck you, Frank, but their producer, Jack Douglas, says it was, Thank you, Frank. In the former record plant in New York, Tom Hamilton came up with the music line with his bass line from the beginning of the song, while Tyler came up with the lyrics. Joe Perry used a talk box, like Peter Frampton was about to do for one of his albums, Frampton Comes Alive, which was a year after 1975, to make the distorted voice in the background in the beginning with his guitar, along with Hamilton's bass and Tyler's maracas and vibraslap. Then after the beginning comes the good jam. his first line of lyrics as a message to Perry's first girlfriend, now his ex-wife, Alyssa Jared. Because of the incredible tension between him and Perry, mostly because of their drug use. When Tyler came to the hotel room where Perry and Alyssa were staying to ask for some drugs, they both sent him away without sharing. At the end of each lyric line, Joe Perry plays his famous guitar solo with Whitford, Hamilton, and Kramer joining in the fun.
Swinging Motion is one of Aerosmith's best songs of all time. It, along with Walk This Way, was part of their first hit album called Toys in the Attic, and it helped them become one of the greatest American rock bands of all time. So, I've got a question for you. What is your favorite Aerosmith song? This has been Cool Music History Time with DJ Dylan. I hope you all enjoyed my interview with Jack Mahanas and the history of Aerosmith and their best song, Sweet Emotion. For the next and final episode, I will be interviewing Columbia College Chicago instructor and radio professor George Czar and learn about his favorite rock band of all time. And if you all have favorite rock bands that you want, an inside scoop of the history for, please contact me at dylan.miller at loop.colum.edu. Again, this is dylan.miller at loop.colum.edu. This is DJ Dylan saying, have a rockin' day.